Welcome to the Heart of Dating Podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Kate Warman here, and welcome back to another episode of the Heart of Dating podcast. I am so excited because we are talking about one of my absolute favorite topics today. We're going all into attachment styles and attachment wounds from something called attachment theory. And I truly believe this is one of the most underutilized tools in relationships. I think we've heard a lot more about it in recent years, but I don't think enough people know about it and understand it or have any idea if they have an attachment wound and which way they lean. And so JJ and I are getting real, real today, okay? Because I specifically have been open about the fact that I struggle with anxious attachment. Well, JJ actually leans more secure, but he also leans avoidant in conflict. So we are very opposite in the way we handle things, especially in conflict. So the conversation today is mega interesting and we really break it down. This episode is going to be educational and really helpful. And guess what? This episode is just the tip of the iceberg of something that we're going to be going over more in depth in our brand new mentorship program. That's right, you guys. We are so excited. Today is actually the first day that our mentorship program is launching. It's called the School of Dating. Woohoo! School of Dating by the Heart of Dating. We're going to school, y'all, and we are so pumped. It's an eight-week mentorship program where JJ and I are going to be taking people under our wing to specifically help you in a small group setting in the area of dating. So you know we talk about the stages of basically singleness to marriage from single, dating, relationship, engaged, married. This program is going to specifically be going through that dating phase. So how to put yourself out there, how to increase your prospects, how do you actually attract the kind of person that you want to date? How do you feel confident in yourself? How do you communicate your wants and needs? And so really that dating phase, that initial part of dating, we're going to be taking you through the exact things we did to actually meet one another. And you know my story. Well, JJ has an opposite story of mine, actually. He dated way less. I was actually his first relationship and he was very eager in dating and often wooed girls and would try to win them over, which is a little similar to my story as well but we have a lot of different dating experiences. And so we have learned so much, obviously, from our our experiences. And we've taken all of that to put into this eight-week high-touch mentorship program. We're so excited. Hey, if you're listening to this right now and School of Dating is closed, you can actually get on the wait list for our next launch of this program. We're going to be launching it most likely a few times a year. The next time we'll launch it is likely late September or early October this fall. And you can get on the wait list by texting the word wait list to 214-225-7772. You can also check it all out at joinschoolofdating.com. That's where you're going to see all the information. And let me just give you a little bit of the gist of what's going to happen in this eight weeks. We're going to be meeting twice a week for 90 minutes. JJ and I are actually going to be coaching you both of those twice a week for 90 minutes. And we're going to be teaching you a lot, but also allowing time for coaching and questions. So it's going to be a small group. It's not that many people which is what we really wanted it to be. And so it's going to be that eight weeks. It will be taught live. We'll be together twice a week for those eight weeks. You'll also have a community on the back end where you're going to get to do this together with the people in your class. And there's a whole bunch of bonuses we're adding, you know, texting scripts, creative date ideas, so many different things. On top of, we're going to be bringing in some expert guest speakers. So other dating coaches or experts in the areas of healing, because the 
beginning part of the program is all about healing. And so I'm so excited for all of the things we're really pouring in a lot into this eight-week mentorship program. School of Dating can be found at joinschoolofdating.com. And again, if we are already closed, which probably is going to happen, join our wait list to be the first to find out about the next one and to get a special discount. You can text waitlist to 214-225-7772. All right, guys, so much going on right now, but it's so fun. That is what our big announcement is. And just so you know, the topic today that JJ and I are covering, we are going in it in so much more depth within School of Dating. We're just, it's just the tip of the iceberg here on this episode today, but it's going to be really helpful and educational for you if you want to learn more about attachment theory. So let's dive right on in with this episode today about attachment wounds and anxiety. Hey, everybody, it's Kate. And JJ. And we are back again. Hey. <laughs> I'm so excited for the episode today. Babe, are you excited? I am. This is one of your favorites. It's one of my favorite topics. Why is that? Because it transformed the way I was showing up and dating by realizing it, by starting to heal from it. It it, gave, it made me feel so seen because a lot of my patterns and tendencies that relate to what we're talking about today, like were happening, but I didn't. Like I didn't have any tools to figure out what was really going on and why. And what we're about to talk about today helped me so much unlock the reason for why. Yeah. And then give me tools to help. Yeah, I think without giving too much ahead of time, it really seems like instead of just prescribing and mm-hmm. telling you what you are, mm-hmm. it showed you how you were relating to people yeah. and more importantly, how you can change it. Like super practically phrases, tools, how you can change the way that you were showing up. Yeah. Specifically in love and, and intimacy. Yeah. Specifically. So, hey guys, really quickly, we are on YouTube right now. You can see us and we want to encourage you to JJ's flexing his bicep as <laughs> no, he does. No, I took it easy today. <laughs> You're really proud of that. You should be. Well, honey. I have been working out for the honeymoon. Yes. You've so. been slamming it at the gym. I have. That's right. We actually have a fun bonding thing. I just joined his gym and now we've been going together. It's been super fun. Yeah. <laughs> Except I'm over for there. when I'm doing my workouts and he comes over and appears over me. He's like, Good job. Good job. I'm like, Whoa, you're watching me? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's great. Well, she comes over and I definitely load up like a couple extra pounds. I get in the zone and then I pop up. I'm like, You see that? <laughs> Like, and she was like, great job, honey. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes she's not that impressed. So it's just more motivation. I try more and more to be really affirming. I know. I appreciate it. Yes. Well, hey, guys. So you can watch us over on YouTube. We'd really appreciate if you did, because we just added YouTube to the mix for the first time in four years, just a month ago. Now you can watch us, which really transforms the experience, I think. Yep. Uh, and... You know, a few of the things that we wanted to tell you guys about right now, we just had a free challenge this week, which was so fun. And we made a huge announcement. Actually, today is the first time we'll be announcing this, which is that we are launching our mentorship program. Yeah, we are. Called (laughs) the School School of Dating. Dating. School of Dating by Heart of Dating. Let's go. We're going back to (laughs) To school. school. (laughs) I love it. Guess who's back? (laughs) Back again. Right? Yes. (laughs) Except this is our first time. We're so excited. It's an eight-week intensive program where we meet twice a week for 90 minutes. It's going to be a smaller group. It's not like huge, like not 100 people. Uh, And I I really think we're going to probably max out this group, but we're going to run it again this fall, which will be incredible. And it's going to be all about the dating phase. So we talk a lot from singleness to marriage, single dating, relationship, engaged, married. So this program is this mentorship program is really gonna be about that dating phase right babe yeah and it will get maxed out for this one yeah and we'll run it again in the fall so if you are one of those persons who got onto it we are so excited to run through it with you guys it's gonna be super intimate the reason why it's getting maxed out is it's not gonna be 100 people yeah it's not gonna be super scalable it's gonna get nitty-gritty yeah kate and i are gonna get hands-on with you and it's really for the people too that are in dating phase you want to tell them that 
Yeah, it's well, it's not for single and just committed to singleness right now. Yeah. And it's not for people who are in relationships. It's people who are either have been putting themselves out there for a long time and have a lot of frustrations, or maybe you're more similar to me. You're putting yourself out there for the first time and it's very daunting. Mm -hmm. And uh, the whole dating process before you even show up on the first date is a daunting process. So we're super excited about it. Like what we're talking about today is kind of just a sample of what we'll talk about in the course and then we'll get hands on and there's going to be a workbook. There's going to be homework. Yeah. And but it's activity. going to be great homework. It'll be good. Yeah. And I'm not a homework guy. So that means a lot coming from me. <laughs> but you're a straight A student. I can't believe Yeah, that. but I'm not a homework guy. <laughs> I love homework. And <laughs> yeah, she's the goody good girl who sits Whatever. on the front row. Yeah. I mean, that's not a lie. I was definitely teacher's pet. Yes. We know. <laughs> We're so excited. So there's going to be three phases to school of dating. Phase one is gain clarity and confidence in your season of dating. And then phase two is about your elevating your dating momentum. So getting out there. So phase one's really introspective. Actually, what we're talking about today with attachment wounds, anxiety, things like that, we talk about in phase one of the program. We really want to get you confident and understanding yourself and who you are and how you show up in love and then how to manage your emotions. And, you know, if you're very disconnected from your emotions, how to get connected to them. We're mm -hmm. going to do all of that in phase one. Then phase two, we're going to elevate your dating momentum. So we're actually going to get you out there, get you on the apps or out meeting people in real life, whatever you prefer. And we're going to get you out there to actually meet people, which is awesome. And we're going to give you a whole bunch of tools in that section. And then phase three is all about really helping you uh, as, as soon as you meet somebody that you're interested in, how do you manage things like communication? How do you manage your expectations? expectations. Yep. How do you show How do you have first amazing dates? Like how do you have creative dates? All those things. I'm so excited. It's like, Oh yeah. I mean, I look at this program. I'm like, man, I wish, yeah. I wish I would have had this at 18 years old mm. at 22 at 25 at any age. I just wish I could have had a foundation like this built yeah. before I jumped into dating and figuring out things the hard way. Yeah. And you know, this, why we built this too, is this is how it worked for us. This program is specifically what led to us meeting and what led me even personally to be ready to meet JJ and then how we did our whole dating phase together, yeah. which is why it's like a proof proven system because we've done it together. Yeah. It's worked pretty well, I think. And so part of that is attachment theory. Yes. And why don't you go ahead and tell them why you think this is so important? It's so important because it changes the way we show, we can see and understand how we're showing up in relationships specifically. Uh, you know, we learn a lot about Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, all these personality tests, even love languages, which is helpful. But I think that attachment theory and knowing your attachment wounds is the single most powerful and important, important tool in understanding yourself and how you're showing up in relationship. I really does, but I, I really do think that, but I also think it's completely underutilized mm -hmm. and not that many people really know or understand it. Yeah. I think we've all heard bits and pieces about it. And Some so, people I've met still have no idea. I was just at a birthday last week and I asked someone, do you know about attachment theory? And they were like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, that's true. So more people know to your point though, babe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think people have heard maybe like scraps of information. Yeah. So this, if this is you, maybe you've heard about it, you thought you knew about it, or you've never heard about it. I love this episode. Because it's a great like one on one. Yeah. You know, it's like going and watching a YouTube video. Just give me the details, give me the synopsis, and then uh, synopsis. <laughs> synopsis. <laughs> synopsis. Synops. Right. Um, and just kind of like the spark notes, and then we're gonna give some examples uh, about how this shows up specifically in conflict. I think that's where some of this yeah. is showing the most. Yeah. But what's fun is this is not Myers Briggs. No. It's not Enneagram. It's no. not a prescriptive number. You are this. Good luck. Yeah. Sayonara. Yeah. It's you can show up as all of these. Yes. And so Kate and I have both shown up as a lot of these. Yes. At different times. Which we'll get into once we explain the three types. I want to read this quote by Brené Brown, who's my girl. I love her. R amazing researcher, specifically on shame and vulnerability. But she says this. 
Our connection with other people is only as solid and deep as we are connected to ourselves. We have to know who we are or else we end up desperately searching for connection with other people when we have no idea who we are. And this specifically happens in love so often. We can only learn to connect as deep as we really are connected and understand ourselves. And so when you're doing things, let's give a a very extreme example. When you are stalking someone on Instagram endlessly because they're not texting you back and you're you're activated and you feel really heightened and triggered, if you don't understand why you're doing that or what's going on or where that's rooted from, you're going to have a really hard time actually truly healing from that, first of all, and being able to deeply connect with someone. So let's talk about about attachment theory and then get into the different kinds of attachment woundings. Attachment theory is a, it's a, you know, it's something that derived in psychology specifically from somebody named John Bowlby. Uh, He started this in the 1930s. John Bowlby worked as a psychiatrist in a child guidance clinic in London, where he treated many emotionally disturbed children. And through all of his research throughout the years, he was the one who really founded this idea. He found that there were three primary insecure attachment styles and one primary secure attachment style. So we're a lot of, there's a lot, if you go on the internet, you'll find a lot out there on attachment theory. And some of it can be confusing because people use different terms and terminologies, but I like these three for the insecure styles the best. So that's what we're going to use. Um, and I've read lots and lots of books and done lots of work on this. So the three insecure attachment types are anxious, avoidant, and ambivalent. And then of course the secure attachment type is secure. That obviously speaks for itself, right? Uh, And so now this is like JJ just touched on this, but um, I think it's really important when talking about attachment theory. And this is a breakthrough moment I had specifically when I went to the glass house with the amazing Lori Jean Glass, who I want to give some credit to and shout out because she's amazing. She's transformed my life in so many ways and her book, Healthy Adult, I could not recommend it more, but you know, she, once she recognized some tendencies in herself and then she started like getting labeled by people as a love addict. And I actually have an episode earlier in the podcast actually about love addiction. And now since then, you know, we're always growing and evolving. I actually wouldn't, and I don't like the term love addict anymore because I believe it gives a really negative and shameful connotation for the person who's struggling with something really deeply rooted, um, when it comes to love. And I don't think it helps them actually get to the root of what's going on. (laughs) So terms like you're a codependent or you're a love addict, or if you get into this attachment theory, you're like, you're, you're anxious, you're avoidant. You know, if we start labeling people as that, it becomes, it can become really divisive and not helpful. So when you know your, what you, your attachment wound leaning, and if you know your partner's attachment wound leaning, it is very problematic. If you start calling them you're avoidant or the other person says you're anxious, right, babe? Yeah. Like it's, it, it can be very divisive. Well, didn't that happen to you in a conflict? Yes. <laughs> Are you comfortable sharing that example? Well, in the past, you mean, yeah. yeah. So yes, it definitely did. And it has actually more than once, but yeah, it happened with somebody where they were like, well, you're just anxious. That's you're anxious. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, they're like, that's just your anxious attachment style. Yeah. And I'm like, Okay. Awesome. <laughs> so, and I think what's most important there is the diagnosis of love addict or you're this or you're that mm-hmm. is, uh, it's hopeless in the sense that, well, this yeah. is just how you are and sorry, like you just got to figure that out on your own yeah. versus what's fun about this is this is how you're re- relating to somebody yeah. and this is how you can fix it. This is how you can change. This is how you can show up better and vice versa. If you're a partner specifically, you know, who might be more secure and your partner is showing up and avoidant or anxious or ambivalent, this is a really helpful tool to understand where they're coming from and how you can validate and how you can understand and and how you can, yeah. And how you can communicate because that is showing up like, that's not just saying, well, that's your mess and you got to clean it up and then come talk to me when you figure it out. There's no ownership in that. There's no relational compassion or empathy 
And so I think if you're fortunate enough to be on that, that secure end in the relationship and your partner is showing up and maybe a not secure way, this is a really great opportunity to learn and seek to understand. When I first started dating Kate, mm. she would send me these YouTube videos <laughs> on attachment theory <laughs> and did. anxious attachment specifically. And it was super helpful. It was really uh, kind of weird at first, <laughs> but it's kind of explaining like, you know, uh, episode of self-sabotage is not conscious self-sabotage and therefore it's not really you know sabotage it's just more of a traumatic response yeah. because this was what was a learned pattern for them as a child and then this is how they're still you know reacting as an adult and if the other partner in that situation is not they are either leaning secure or they're not triggered or don't understand to them. It makes no rational sense. They're Correct. like, you're being completely irrational. You're getting on, like you're acting a little cray cray. And this makes no sense to me. Yes. And <laughs> what I actually have explained to you, we're going to get into the three types a little bit and where we lean and how it's played out for us. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, what's interesting is even when I'm in and I'm triggered and I'm acting in, my attachment wound. Um, and that's flaring up. I even know in my mind in t at times, like this isn't, I'm not proud of how I'm being right now. Like I, I don't need you to say, Hey, you're acting <laughs> irrational. <laughs> that's not helping. I wonder okay? why that, that's why it doesn't work. <laughs> Interesting. But when JJ creates a safe space, which is a really important part of this, um, or, you know, when there's a safe space and he's not trying to convince me to be any different way or, He's definitely not telling me I'm crazy. Nothing like that. <laughs> he's like, you know, it, he's inviting me to seek to understand and providing me with a lot of love and compassion. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm like, okay, all right. I already know I'm not acting very well right now. Like I have a big consciousness of how, when I'm not showing up well, I really, really, really do. But in the moment, it's really hard because that's like a learned pattern that I've, I know in my mind, okay, this is, I shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. so it takes me a moment to calm down and it's, it's especially important if you can recognize that and you see, oh man, she's flaring up right now. There's her attachment wounding is triggered. Yeah. And if you're in a calmer place, you can invite me into more safe space instead of, and, and come on my side, kind of like the picture of one per the problem he is in the middle and two people on are on different sides of the problem. It's in the middle. And instead of actually attacking the problem together, you end up slinging mud at one another over the problem yeah. and hitting each other. And you never actually address the problem. Yeah. That's getting caught in the crosshairs, mm. which is super important. And sadly causes more conflict than it should, because you're not able to come alongside of each other with the problem in front of you. Their problems caught in between and you just start slinging mud. But what's super important about being on the other end of that is realizing and the whole foundation of attachment theory is that these patterns and these responses are born and developed and set in childhood. Yeah. Basically, from the time you're born to the age of about eight years old is a foundation mm -hmm. for how you build all relationships for the rest of your life. Yeah. So what's super important about that is when Kate and ha would have these responses and understanding on the other end, if you are maybe on that calmer side in that specific moment is understanding that a lot of this is fixed, fixed triggered response. Like this is the response that's familiar. They're recreating that. This is what they learn. Yeah. This is, this is a, almost like a fixed trigger response. And what's crazy is you understand at some, at some point they understand and you recognize that they know that they're on the crazy train. That's a popular term that we'll use, but they Lori Jean Glass came up with that term. Yeah, and <laughs> they know that they're there, and that for me was like a wait. I'm like, wait, you know, you're acting this way, <laughs> and you're still acting this way, and so that for me was like, okay, it's obviously something deeper here because yeah. they know, you know, where they are and how they're coming across, and mm -hmm. they're still reacting in in this pattern. So the super important about that though is. It's developed in childhood. Yeah. So when you're on the other end, when you start to see that, and it's not just you're looking at the other person for who they are, but you're looking for them for their whole life experience. Yeah. And you can start to give a lot more empathy because you start to see the child there, the child's story, the child's background, how that happened and how that trigger response was 
where it was with you that day. Yeah. And so that was super important for me. And hopefully that's encouraging for both sides is there's a ton of hope. And that's our favorite part about this, that you're not going to get in another podcast or YouTube that we have found is it's not prescriptive. You show up differently in different relationships and you can also change. Yes. You can change and improve on your attachment style. Yeah, that's why it's not a label. You are never you're once you get a label, it's like you're stuck with that label. Yes. You're you're first of all, you can show up differently in a you're in the three different insecure or even secure, the four different types. You can show up differently depending on the person. For example, for me, I show up very secure now with all the healing I've done with the majority of my friends and people in my life. Mm. Majority of people I show up very secure. Uh and I I'm not as triggered and heightened in uncomfortable or complex type situations. But in romance, in intimacy, that's seemingly, and sometimes some family dynamics, that's still where some of my problem areas lie. Uh, and I've gotten way better, but I still struggle so in those areas, sometimes specifically with my attachment wounding. Okay. And that's just really real. And I can preach on this stuff and teach it. And it's still a journey. The silver lining is you, like JJ just said, that these things can get get better through time. So in deeply knowing yourself and how you attach and love in various situations and actually being committed to that journey of healing, you can heal this through time. I also believe in the beauty of being in a healthy, safe partnership also through time offers that safety that can also help expedite the healing as well. You should always do as much as you can on your own, but there is a reality where a healthy, safe relationship will also help heal you as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, um, you know, if you struggle, ask friends for feedback here, like your safe friends ask for feedback. And then I think Holy Spirit is always a the best yeah. helper, the great helper, where we have those introspective quiet times and we just simply ask and pray, Lord, would you reveal, mm -hmm. would you reveal memories? Would you reveal times? Would you reveal instances where I was showing up in these similar ways? Yeah. Lord, would you reveal what you wanted me to know in that moment? Where were you in that moment? How were you speaking to me? How were you there for me? How were you loving me? And then moving forward with that deep introspection, the deep knowing of yourself, the deep knowing of your triggers in those moments, like, oh, Jesus, would you just, I feel it. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. Is there anything else you would add there? Like that reliance upon God yeah, in so those moments. I mean, it's all of it combined. It yeah. is all of it combined. You have to partner with the healing that God is willing to provide yes. at all times. That's like, great. He's always willing to provide healing. You have to be willing to also partner with it and be open. And it's not a one-stop shop yeah. in attachment wounding. Like God is a miraculous God. He is a very miraculous healing God. But it, there's also many areas, attachment woundings being one, where it can take layers upon layers of breaking chains and moving through to the different layers of healing. Yes. So that you're is constantly so partnering good. with the healing. Yeah, it's so good. And God is more, we see deliverance, we know it exists, but we often like preach that healing happens on layers. And the best part about that is God's love is steadfast. Yes. It's steadfast and it's thorough as the sun rises and it sets, like so is God's love there for us always. Yeah. And so we have that healing always ready at a moment's notice that we can choose to partner with. But we believe in like, it's both. Like we have to say yes and we have to practice and we have to partner. It's not a magic wand where we say yes and boom, it's done. It's a it's a daily devotion and reliance, like yeah. independence. That's good. Honey. So I, I think that is so important and you're a and great- And it provides so much more hope. Testimony. Yeah, for sure. Because it allows me as a person who is a dating coach and has talked about this for many years and been on a healing journey to like, it's okay if I'm not perfect because it is a healing process and mm -hmm. it's a, it happens in layers. Um, so let's get into yes. the attachment types. Okay. Now you guys understand a little bit of where we're coming from. And now we want to give you a little bit more depth around them. So the first we're going to go into is attachment. Um, uh, the first type of attachment wound we're going to go into is anxious attachment. And to be honest, the majority of people do lean more anxious. Um, that's just in research. I've seen that more often than not, people lean more anxious out of all of the types out of avoidant, out of ambivalent, out of secure. There's more people that lean anxious and 
and that also includes myself. So some people also call it anxious preoccupied, but uh, I just like to call it anxious. Okay. So a person, person who is attaching anxiously will likely do so because they crave connection. They really crave connection. How it does an anxious attachment wound come to be? Well, as a child, what happens is these children learn that they get some love that's good and awesome, but it's not consistent. So sometimes they'll be loved and they'll be heard, but they're not consistently loved. So what they learn is I have to latch on to the love that I'm getting. If I'm getting it, like, I'm not sure if it's going to leave. So I have to latch onto it and just hope like, and cling to it and hope that this connection, that this love stays. And this is a very random example, but it really clicked with me when I was first learning this. It's like a parent gives you a bowl of cereal, your favorite bowl of cereal. And you're like, yes, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And you're eating this bowl of cereal. And in the middle of eating this bowl of cereal, they snatch it away. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, okay, wait, what? And then you cry and you're like, oh, wait, I wasn't done. We don't want more of that. And um, they're like, just, they don't care. They take it away. And then the next time you get the bowl of cereal, you're like, you either eat it right away or you're a little hesitant. You're like, I don't know. Is it going to stay? Are they going to take it away from me this time? And so you learn to attach anxiously when your love, the love that you received was not consistent. It was sometimes there, but not all the times there. And uh, when someone is acting in their anxious attachment wounding, they're going to often feel a lot, feel a lot of things. And then they're going to act upon those feelings. And then they're going to think about it later. <laughs> so yeah. that's where for me, I'm feeling a lot. And then I do something. And then after I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Yes. That is so important. <laughs> yeah. That is so important. If, if that, you know, registers with you or in conflicts you've ran through, because mm. for me, I experienced that. I'm like, it's just such a dependence on feeling. It's feeling, 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 doing, doing, doing. And then you think about it and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I might have I might have done that the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> I might have brought that up. Might have overreacted a little <laughs> Yeah, but it's like a consistent, heavy dependence on feeling. Yeah. Oh, like, and that was super frustrating for me on the other end because it was just like all about feelings. <laughs> It's just like, I feel this. I, uh, anxious, is, they, they have a lot of feelings. It's right on the surface with yeah. somebody who... Is, and it's and it's acted in, it's acted upon. Yes, It's reacted right on consistently. It's very reactionary yes. in the moment. But the models feel, do, think. Yes. Super important. Again, we want to reference Lori Jean Glass because she does talk about this a lot as well. And I love what she talks about specifically about attachment woundings in her book, Healthy Adult. So... Um, and oftentimes an anxious person, person, when they're feeling, and then they act right after they're acting to soothe their feelings. They're acting in a way to soothe or to numb because they, without the thinking, cause the feelings are so much that they're like, I have to do something yeah. to make myself feel better, more regulated before I think about what I'm actually doing and the consequences of what I'm doing, whether or not it's hurting myself, another person or both. <laughs> You know, and so there's not really a lot of logic when somebody <laughs> is acting in their anxious wounding. Excuse me, what? why are you laughing? It's perfectly logical, honey. Oh my You're... gosh. Yeah, That's yeah, it. We don't say that. Anywho, <laughs> um, so here's some signs that you might be attaching anxiously and just helpful to know. Again, this episode is just a surface level um, episode. I really encourage you. I mean, we are going to go way more deeper in this in School of Dating, mm -hmm. but go read Healthy Adult. There's a lot of great books out there that will talk more about this in detail if this is going to be hopefully stirring some things up in you. So signs of someone who's anxiously attaching is somebody who will, in their feelings, try to control the situation. They may even in that control, try to manipulate the person or the situation to benefit them. They may become really needy, like need to hear from you all the time and mm. need to hear, I need to hear, I need to hear. Um, they ne may need like a lot of affirmation, a lot of care, a lot of making sure they, you know, their feelings. They may become loud um, just so that you'll hear them. They may talk a lot in a heated moment, like ta -ta 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 -ta, lots of feelings, lots of feelings, lots of over explaining is another thing. They express a lot of their emotions. They may threaten to end a relationship. Um, 
And they're going to also potentially do a lot of investigation. Now, you may not do everything I just said, but if any of those relate, you might, again, I want you to do the work to figure this out for yourself, but you might lean anxious in your attachment wound. And the investigation is like, I have to know what they're doing, where they are, what's happening. Yeah, it's like an insatiable, Mm -hmm. just like thirst to know. I've, and in my very past, when I used to be really living within this, I had no like structure or vocabulary to talk about anxious attachment. Yeah, I I will admit that I've done drive-bys to check on whoever I was with to see are they home, what's going on, or like spying almost. And yeah. it's it's a definite like need to like know what's happening. I and think I think that's more common than we would ever guess. Yeah, the drive-by and that they have to know. I think the easiest way to understand anxious attachment is these are you probably experienced it or tell me if this phrase makes mm-hmm. sense. You are very unokay with things not being okay. Definitely. And that's a very demonstrative reaction to that to very hands-on reaction yeah. to things not being okay. That's right. Need to have a resolve ASAP. Yeah. And whatever it takes. Yes. So people who have an anxious attachment wounding, they don't like distance in the relationship. They like a lot of closeness and like they really like to know where their partner stands with them. They need a lot of that communication. Mm-hmm. They don't like, like you just said, feeling unresolved in conflict. That's a no-no for them. Yeah. <laughs> you need to have resolve. And they also don't like feeling unheard mm-hmm. um, in conflict mm-hmm. at all. Uh, yeah, they need you to hear them and understand. Yeah. There's a, And I think the underlying theme, because we'll talk about avoidant, and ambivalent, but I'm not okay with this and I have to make it okay with action. Right now. Yeah. With <laughs> manipulation, control, blah, 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 all these things. Lots, lots of emotions, and lots of tools, lots of tools, you know, but mm-hmm. it's, I'm not okay. I have to address this, make other people know that I'm yes. not good. So if you've ever been in an anxious situation, another example is some, you're dating someone and they're out doing something and you text them and you expect a response back and you don't get one and an hour goes by at two hours, you're checking your phone incessantly. Now suddenly you're on Instagram stalking. Well, did anyone post any stories? Did anyone do is, what is this person doing? Where is he? What is going on? Mm-hmm. If you have find my friends on, we have the location on, you're like, where is he going? What is he doing? And then, then eventually if they still don't reply, you may go, you may board, you may get good to the next level. And now you start texting, calling. Why aren't you answering? What are you doing? You may start calling them. It, it can go to an extreme level. And that's, I'm, gonna admit I've done that I I don't really do that we haven't gone that me- like we haven't been that bad I don't think have we? <laughs> I don't think so are you at do you want me to actually tell no yeah. I, in no. my I hasn't been that bad. we haven't ever gotten to that place together no I don't think so but I've definitely gotten to that place in the past I I, I don't normally well I trust you in situations we have a, a way bigger foundation of trust and I've learned to self-regulate um and much more than I ever have. Uh, but let's give an example of how this plays out between you and I. Okay. I remember specifically around July, we were approaching six months and you and I had talked earlier in our relationship that around six months is when you kind of know if you want to continue on with somebody or not. Yeah. The good learning in this, by the way. (laughs) And we were approaching that and I started like, freaking out because my anxious attachment started being really flaring up. Do you remember this? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) And (laughs) because I realized, I realized later on with therapy and processing that in recent years, I haven't had a lot of relationships that have gone past six months. And it was already always around like five, six months, sometimes earlier that the person was like, no, like, I can't do this anymore. And I was in a hard place. I was just starting to peek my way out of depression and being in a really hard state. And I realized, oh my gosh, he's he's just seen like the worst of me. And it's approaching the six months. And I don't know, are we, are we going to, are we going to stay together? I don't really know. And, blah, blah, blah. and then I started boarding that cycle of like, starting to feel like I needed more validation. I needed more affirmation of where he was with me. And do you remember this, honey? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. And <laughs> you want to comment on it? Well, I think, you know, was would you say in retrospect, was it a mistake for me to outline that 
I think six months is a good indicator and put like a specific timeline and month number out I there. I do think it's a, okay. it's a mistake. So, yeah. yeah. I would just say, because that... I love you. <laughs> I thought that was a great idea because my, my fundamental belief before I knew a little bit more about dating was I think after six months, you probably have a generally good idea whether or not you should... You can marry somebody and want to marry them. Yeah. And then if it's after six months and you're not set on marrying that person you're waiting for something to be resolved. There's like a red flag on their end or your end that is not resolved mm. and that you need to be resolved before you feel comfortable being married to that person, which is super important because some people have the patience, you know, to wait, 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 wait for that person to show change and growth and progression. But the reality is, the hard reality is, if that red flag is existent and still very much not being worked on or addressed mm -hmm. with any promise of change, then that is probably a red flag that needs to be addressed in singleness yeah. before that person is really ready to date and be married, Yeah, be, be in a relationship and engaged and married. Yeah, And that's a hard pill to swallow. So with Kate and I, I don't think I was quite there. Like I knew I wanted to marry Kate, which is super important. But, you know, for me, it was still a little early and I just needed, you know, another few months before I was comfortable making that decision, you know, because I that was my first time being that far in a relationship, too. Yeah. So it was very, you know, it's a lot of nerves and there's a lot of unknown. And the <laughs> if you ever get when you get to that point when you're like <laughs> trying to make the decision, wow, do I really want to spend the rest of my life with this person? Like it is daunting. You know, and I was really set on Kate. Like, I really did at that point love her. We had been through a lot. And I knew that she was the woman I wanted to marry that didn't make it less daunting. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. Quick interruption in today's episode because I want to talk to you about something that is so real. Are you paying down old credit card debt? If you're anything like me, I did this for years on end because I moved to New York City after college and I thought I was a baller and I had a credit card and I spent so much money. So either you, if you're paying down credit card debt or if you have a big purchase coming up or something, a big life change coming up, I want to talk to you about getting a personal loan that could actually be your solution. Loans usually come with fixed monthly payments, making them a simple way to help pay off your credit cards. Plus, loans usually have lower interest rates than credit cards do, which is so much better so you're not accruing all of that interest over time. And so I wanna tell you about Credit Karma. Credit Karma uses your credit data to find loans that are personalized to you so you can have a better idea of what loan amount you can get approved for. Credit Karma will even show you your chances of approval so you can choose between loan offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. Comparing loan offers on Credit Karma is 100% free and it won't affect your credit scores at all, which is really, really, really good to know. What I love about Credit Karma, get your credit card debt down by switching your credit card debt onto a personal loan where the interest rate is lower. It will be so much more beneficial for what played out for us, let's give out, let's tell them yeah. what played out because yes. I think that's what we need to tell them. So, um, I, I started realizing I'm feeling more anxious. I need more affirmation and I was finding myself just feeling way more needy. Like I need more affirmation texts from you. I want, I would love that. I would, and, and also a way to present it, especially for my ladies listening, but for guys too, that struggle with anxious, not just women, not definitely not. Um, you always want to present your needs as an invitation and versus the anxious leaning person sometimes will present it in a way that's very needy. Like I need this, I need this, I need this, like, oh, I need it. I need it. You know? And in, instead you want to present it as an invitation as like, Hey, you know, I, I'm finding myself, and this is really vulnerable for me, but I'm finding myself feeling a little bit uncertain of where we are. And it would, it would make me feel really safe and comforted just to get to know a little bit more about where you're at. And so it's really important to present your needs as an invitation because it it's way more it's way easier for somebody to understand when you're leading in vulnerability and presenting it as an invitation saying like hey if you do these things it would make me feel really safe it would make me feel really connected to you and it would help me just find some peace in the middle of 
of where we are in our relationship. And for me, my background is that I struggle um, sometimes with intimacy because I'm when I really enjoy and love something, I'm there's parts of me that are maybe afraid that it's going to leave. And I know that there's a lot of like, I take a lot of ownership in that, but something that would really help if you're open to it is just communicating with me where you stand and, and uh, some affirmations would feel really, really safe and wonderful and comforting for my heart. Yeah. That's how it probably should have come out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for calling me out like that, honey. I appreciate you. I know. (laughs) Well, I wasn't quite that smooth after the fact. Uh, Yeah. So basically, you know, there was a lot of attachment wounding flare ups in that moment, in that, in that for about a month, I would say. Yeah. A few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still every once in a while there's flares of it, but that was a hard month specifically because the anxious is just, there is no other focus except for on their feelings and communicating those and making sure that they are acknowledged. Yeah. And and they're acting a lot in them. Like there yeah. was a lot of like, maybe we shouldn't be together. Maybe yeah. we shouldn't be together. Lots I, of fleeting. Unfortunately, yeah. I, I did act in that. Yeah, lot. like threats to leave. And that's now on our, you know, we have a no-no list and yeah. conflict and threatening to leave is like at the top. Don't do that. Yeah, do not do it. Yeah. And but you guys, I'm sure in the audience have definitely experienced the anxious attachment, maybe from your mother, your father, a close friend, or an ex partner. Mm-hmm. But you can you if you're the one giving the anxious, I think it's pretty easy to identify. Like yeah. you at any of those examples Kate gave, you're like, oh yeah. I, this I also flares up a lot in the beginning, by the yeah. way. A lot. And yeah. then uh but if you've been on the other end if you've received it, you've definitely, it's definitely easy to like, once you've experienced once you're like, okay, I know exactly how that is on the receiving end. And they're both super important to know. Yeah. I think it, this, the point of why we're sharing this too, so you can find compassion for the person who's experiencing it Yeah, because it's really easy to be like, oh, they're so needy and I don't want to be with them. And it's like, no, wait, there's something underneath Dude, it. Dude, a thousand percent. And I wonder if I could get curious, not that you're the rescuer, this is not you being codependent and trying mm-hmm. to rescue them, but how can you partner and in, in best love them and get curious and compassionate without putting a meshing your identity and trying to save them? It's a clear balance there, yeah. clear, fine line. Yes, exactly. So hopefully that was helpful. We're going to move to avoidant, which I'm going to explain this one. Yeah, because I, uh, I am primarily secure with a taste of avoidant, (laughs) like a wine. (laughs) (laughs) He is beautifully secure, mostly. I I am mostly secure with notes of avoidant. (laughs) Like a fine wine. Like a fine wine. So a little zing. Yeah. It's just just to mix it up every now and then. Okay, so the model for this one is think, do, and then feel. Mm -hmm. You probably have a good example of this on when when I have done it. But I think the easiest way to think about this one is avoid it, probably a chaotic household. Um, your parents, lots of conflict. And so instead of wanting to get into it, there was a lot of thinking about it, a lot of maybe, was this my fault? Or just like you think, 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 you really have a strong distaste for conflict. I think that's maybe one of the biggest roots is a distaste for conflict. And then from there, you withdraw. Mm-hmm. You try to avoid at all costs. Like conflict is very uncomfortable. Yeah. And then you go into a period of feeling, deep feeling, deep introspection. If that feeling is even there, I think even then the avoidant, probably one of the biggest hallmarks is suppression of feelings. That's the burying for years and years, suppression of feelings so that you just think and do, think and do. Maybe you're even quote unquote more rational, but it might be more avoidant. Yes. And oftentimes the household and avoidance that developed an avoidant attachment, it wasn't really safe to feel, which yeah. is why a lot of avoidance might be uncomfortable with feelings, might be uncomfortable with vulnerability or talking about how they're feeling because growing up, it wasn't safe to feel or express their emotions. They're awfully often if they express their emotions, completely squashed. Um, and so they didn't know, they don't know how to engage as much with their feelings and emotions that, so a lot of feelings and emotions feels like a lot for them. 1000%. I definitely came from a chaotic household where it was not safe 
to express and share feelings, especially from a masculine point of view, right? Like feelings are very like suppressed. And then I have lots of friends actually, ironically, who might lean avoidant. And these are the people where you just see them from a third party and you're just like, oh, like he's got to say something. Like he's got to have this hard conversation. He's been putting it off for months. And those are kind of the people you want to shake, including myself sometimes. So I think the other hallmark of avoidance is they're very good in the dating phase, but it's kind of hard for them to get to the re- the relationship phase. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yep. And so that's um, another hallmark. And so oftentimes avoidance stem from helicopter parents. Yeah. So they're just too much and it's just easier for them to withdraw. And those parents are very codependent, really all up in their all up in their space. All up in their grill. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, they can also, obviously, where it's not safe from telling. And I think the other thing about avoidance that I, I think of is they can be uh, the loner. Like they withdraw. There might have been a social person at one time. And then through time and time and time, they just withdraw. It's really hard. They're never going to invite themselves on those nighttime meetings like they just have no desire in their body to get out with community mm. and express themselves like yeah. and pulling out feelings for them i personally i am friends with all uh, maybe shy introspective introverted avoidant people because i kind of like the challenge of an avoidant person getting them to sit down and communicate their thoughts and feelings and be vulnerable yes but these people are definitely you know some other key signs is they withdraw they ignore then maybe the suppressed ones are they stay busy, mm. they shut down, they numb out, mm-hmm. they flee and leave, they justify and rationalize like they come from a more logical yep. part because their emotions are suppressed. And then they defend or they appease. They are so and I appease symp- with no follow up. Yeah, I sympathize with that because sometimes in conflict, especially when I'm over it. I'm like, okay, I don't care what the cost is. I don't care how many times I have to say I'm sorry. I'm just going to say I'm sorry, even if I don't feel it at all, just to get myself out of this. Like, I'll happily... Or say, okay, fine, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll happily wave my white flag and sign up for, okay, I'll do this and not really mean it to get out of conflict. Oh, my gosh, and it's my biggest pet peeve when yeah, you do that. hates it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But, you know, and so... And we can talk about how it plays out with with you and I when you lean avoidant. But I will say, um, you know, again, you can be a person that leans anxious a lot, but then also in some cases leans avoidantly. You can, depending on the person in the scenario, and that is not something you hear very often. Usually it's like you're only one attachment type and that's it. Just kind of like the Enneagram or whatever. But I, it's, it's really not the case. You can lean into anxious. You can lead into avoidant. You can lead into ambivalent depending on the situation. For sure. You can lean anxious avoidant. And, you know, I think uh, the examples that we can give, like some of the more mainstream examples that we haven't had as much issues over is like that, the prolonging of hard conversations that's being, it's like, obviously, yeah, that's being avoidant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, the prolonging of breakup conversations, the prolonging of hard conversations, the prolonging of surfacing that you're not okay about something, or just the total just like, I'm just not going to bring it up because it's just, you know, this is the conflict, the passive aggressive, you know, like they're just they steer around conflict in the road, and they're just going to keep going and say, all right, it's just easier if I don't bring it up. A lot of avoidance that I've dated. Now, here's something that's interesting is often if you are used to having love that isn't very available in your childhood, you'll often be attracted and want that love later in life. So ironically, though, avoidance are not people that lean avoidantly are not usually a great match for me personally, um, leaning more anxiously, I'm often typically drawn to them. (laughs) And so that's something that often happens, not just for me, many people. And so usually anxious and avoidant are actually um, drawn together a lot of the times. And in the beginning, it's usually fine because right. Avoidance actually like it's when somebody, um, leans avoidantly, they actually like the beginning of a relationship because it's more light. It's more fun. Then once the commitment, the DTR comes along, they're like, yeah. they're very rarely going to bring up the DTR conversation mm-hmm. if they're in their avoidant nature and not trying to work through or heal it. And it might just be prolonged. Let's just be fun. Let's be light. Let's keep it casual. Let's da da da. Uh, But for me, uh, I have often been drawn to avoidance and it's really, really tough because 
avoidance also have a hard time expressing their emotions more than the basic feelings of happy, mad, or sad. Yeah. Um, and and so it's very hard for them to be like, I'm exp- I feel this or this is where I'm at. Like they can really only express happy, mad, or sad. Like the very basic you know, seeing the world through three colors kind of a lens. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And I think another way I've heard this that makes more sense too is um, like marriage therapists and psychologists have studied this and they actually say conflict-oriented or passive-aggressive, that's typically the AB of conflict. They say actually the one of the best ones you can have is either conflict-oriented and conflict-oriented because everything is going to get brought up. <laughs> You can have conflict oriented and passive aggressive because one person's definitely going to bring it up and there's just no way around it. And one of the worst ones you could have is actually passive passive because both people are so willing to just suppress and put stuff under the rug and avoid that things pile and bury for years mm-hmm. and come they cause a lot of destruction down the it's road. That's where a lot of secretive behavior comes into play, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yep. And, and you know, in any of these types, there's you're always learning things to numb. For me, numbing looked like performance. It looked like being drawn to men. We talk way more about this, but avoidance often also numb through individual activities. And sometimes a lot of avoidance will tend to steer toward pornography, actually, and different things like that. Yeah. And it's not a prescriptive thing, okay? So it's not like... Yeah, there's a lot of... But, a lot of it addictive behaviors that you know avoid it can turn to but it does make perfect sense yes so let's go into the last one ambivalent and ambivalent is actually a lower percentage of people are ambivalent actually um it's also called sometimes disorganized but Mm -hmm. i'll explain a little bit individuals who attach ambivalently toggle between thinking and feeling thinking and feeling but then they rarely act They have a really hard time doing. They think and feel and think and feel and think and feel or sometimes think a lot or sometimes feel a lot, but then they have a really hard time actually acting and making a move. Um, And when you are with somebody who's more ambivalent, sometimes they will appear highly anxious. Sometimes they may appear highly avoidant. They actually appear as both. And sometimes it's a mix of both happening at once. They feel really anxious and then they want to run away from the relationship and they feel really anxious and then I don't want to talk about it at all. And so... um, um, and oftentimes ambivalence starts, of course, in childhood with a very chaotic or traumatic household. And oftentimes when the household is split, so when you were, if you grew up in a divorced home and your parents got divorced when you were really young and you spent a lot of time at mom, a lot of time at dad's, and it was very different in both of those environments. So like a split home, you were acting differently with mom than you acted with dad. And it was very confusing. So you're experiencing two different things and it causes this ambivalent. I don't know how to be or act because I have to be different things around different people. And so it's a, it's a very, very highly confusing and they will second guess themselves a lot, especially with big decisions. Um, but the thing here is with somebody who may lean ambivalently, the thing to to also know is when they do act, it can be quite extreme sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think ambivalent for me was personally hard to grasp, but two pictures really helped me. Mm-hmm. And the, the major one is think about deer in the headlights. Think, feel, think, feel, think, feel. Caught and the deer in the headlights. Like lots of double guessing, questioning of self. Yeah. And then when they do make a decisions like lightning, it's just wham, like decisions made. Yeah. Uh, but it's after like tons and tons of time. Yeah. Tons and tons of thoughts and feelings. So somebody ambival- who attaches or leans ambivalently does not like making big decisions. They don't like commitment per se. Mm-hmm. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. It really depends on the day. They don't love distance in the relationship. There's so many things. Again, it depends on the day. And I'll be really honest. There's parts and times where I do attach ambivalently, where I am like, oh, think, feel, think, feel. I can't make a decision. I can't make a decision. And so this is something where I sometimes do lean ambivalent. I mm-hmm. mainly lean anxious, but um, I also can lean ambivalently. And it's hard for me to make a decision. I'm like feeling, and then I'm thinking, and then I'm feeling, and then I'm thinking, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And that's different from avoidant because avoidant knows how they feel. Knows the decision that they would like to make. They're just avoiding you know, the conflict and the conversation, Yeah, like a breakup. They know they want to break up. Yes. We'll do a breakup course sometime because I've definitely heard (laughs) a strong desire for, you know, I think we all sometimes have a hard time making that hard conversation, but 
yeah and bivlin is like they don't know they truly don't know they're like one second they feel this one one second they feel the next so they really struggle to make a decision versus avoidant is they know how they feel they're just avoiding yeah and again, this is just so helpful, you guys, because with all of these three quote unquote insecure uh, attachment woundings, there is the beautiful silver lining that you can become secure. We cannot control what happened to us as children and is not something that God says, well, that happened to you. So now you're going to be anxious for the rest of your life or that happened to you. So now you're avoidant for the rest of your life. No, like we have the opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit for transformation, for healing and understand things like attachment theory that without giving ourselves a label can help us say, wow, I, I can understand myself more. And mm. I, I want to get more curious and I want to go into these layers and I want to seek ways to, to not say stuck in this pattern. That's become very normal for me because all of these things, if you lean anxious, lean attachment or lean avoidant, lean ambivalent, you're going to, it's going to feel like second nature. Mm -hmm. You're going to go down that path often. And it's going to feel very obvious for you to start stalking on Instagram. It's going to feel very obvious for you to, to just not text back and avoid a conversation. Like it's going to just feel like second nature. You're not even, you're just, that's your first response. And so, but as you start gaining more awareness and start understanding where you're coming from and you start connecting with yourself and connecting with God and start healing healing, then through time, you can move towards becoming more and more secure, which is amazing and brings so much hope in this whole process. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's part of sanctification on earth as the experiment, the experience of secure, uh, attachment to God and mm -hmm. our relationship with, with Christ. And so we experience secure love for yes, the first time, which right which does change us. And then forth, we can go out and securely love others. Yeah. Have a place of identity in Christ, which is super cool because that's part of our, our sanctification on earth is, you know, so I, that's why I think this diagram and paradigm is so helpful because it's such a, you know, I don't want to say you're obligated to, to go back, but one of the best ways to serve and the kingdom is to look over your personal life and your personal background and your foundation and how you learn to love and then seeing where maybe you learn anxious or avoidant or ambivalent and then how you can, you know, the hope is change into secure. Yes. And so then moving forward, you're securely loving friendships, relationships, wife, husband, siblings, parents, yeah. like what a gift, what a gift. You yeah. know, that we can operate out of that, regardless of our background. Like mm -hmm. there's that for me is so much hope. Yes. So when you are acting in a secure place, which when you're listening right now, maybe you do sometimes act securely. You're like, sometimes that's me. Sometimes it's not always me. And that's mm -hmm. great. That's awesome. Um, it's still room for growth, right? If you identify with any of the three that we just talked about, there's still room to keep mm -hmm. learning, growing and healing and partnering with God. A secure person usually operates where they can think, feel and do all in the same time. So they're thinking, they're feeling, mm -hmm. and they're acting, but it's from a place of consciousness, from a place of, I understand what's happening. I'm calmly doing this. I understand. And I'm making decisions. And I'm I'm thinking, I'm feeling, I'm in touch with all of it. And I'm acting in a calm, safe way. Yeah. Super cool. Because, you know, what's interesting about that, as you said that, is, you know, you might be uh, do, feel, think, no, I'm feel. Sorry, I feel, you feel, do, do then think. think. Yeah, but I, I thought I, and what we like to, you, we want to be able to feel and then think and then do. That's the healthy secure. I think in the, my masculine experience, you're just encouraged to think and do, think and do, <laughs> think and do, because you're rational, you're logical, right. you're a true. decision maker. Yeah. It's respected, and I noticed with years and years as I've grown as I've actually suppressed more emotion than I ever thought. Mm. And so it's been a really great learning experience for me to experience my feelings, uh, think about them and then share them and communicate them, you know, and nothing and like do. our relationship to bring that out. <laughs> I know. And it's been really, really, um, it's been really, really healing for me. Yeah. And part of that is finding, you know, creating that safe environment where you can share those. Yeah. Um, so 
There's that hope is the beauty with an anxious leaning person with an avoidant lead. Like it, it does help. Like I, I think there's part of our relationship where I've encouraged you to share and embrace more of your feelings because I want to know. And I think it's beautiful. It is true. And I think sometimes it's probably like pulling teeth. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And then other times that <laughs> yesterday I, I was amped up on feelings. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just, it's just funny, it, babe. but well, guys, this has been so fun to talk about um, attachment theory today. And again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that we want to invite you into. Okay. This is nothing in this episode. We hope and we pray it's not to make you feel ashamed. It's hope. I hope and my prayer is that it makes you feel more seen and starts mm-hmm. to understand yourself a bit more and opens up a door that says, ooh, this is really good. And if there's a way that I can start healing some of these things, I want to get curious and do the brave thing of going into the layers so that I can go through some of the muck so that I can come out more free and more healed with new tools. So I don't have to act these ways anymore. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. I think you did a great job. (laughs) And you too, baby. Thanks, honey. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. We love, I mean, I feel great. I love doing the podcast with you, honey. Yeah, me too, honey. (laughs) I really do. I hope you guys enjoyed this. This, I learned a ton when I learned attachment theory with Kate. Mm -hmm. And for me, it just, it, it was such a good puzzle piece. Like I felt like for the first time in a while, I was able to to connect puzzle pieces and conflict and how, you know, triggers and woundings and phrases Mm -hmm. were showing up. And so it was super enlightening for me. I love that. Yeah. All right. We love you guys. All right. See you next week, guys. Bye -bye. Bye. The Heart of Dating podcast is created by Kate Warman. It is a part of the Converge podcast network. Our incredible editor is the one and only Scott Caro. Our theme music was developed by the amazing Christian Ledoux. Special shout out to Anjali Maga and Gabriella Asperu who make this show possible each week and help to keep me sane. If this is your first time listening to the podcast or if you've never written us a review or ranked us on iTunes, we'd encourage you to do so because it helps us so much to get this podcast into more people's ears. We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesday. So we'll see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.